TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. It's that time of night, you can't stay uptight, so come and join the people and I'm feeling alright, he run over out America, over out America. Joining us now is the president of the Center for Family and Human Rights and also author of a new book called Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic. Columnist Austin Roos, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, KMOX is one of my hometown stations. I grew up in St. Charles. Oh, that is so cool. Where do you live now? Uh, in Northern Virginia. Great. You can still reach it at night, perhaps if you were in the car, 11.20 a.m. would do that. How long did you live in this area? Well, I grew up there. I, uh, our, our family farm is up uh, outside of Kirksville. I went to grade school in Columbia, went to junior high and high school in uh, St. Charles, and uh, graduated from the Mizzou Journalism School. Oh, that is so cool. Well, what a great connection then. And, of course, KMOX has such a great uh, history and legacy inside of the community. It's good to have you on. And what's interesting, uh, the time we're at right now, there's so many things that pop up in the news that concern a lot of parents, in particular parents of faith, and they watch what happens in these other states, and they say, please don't let it come here to Missouri. There's very few states, it seems like, that could push back at some of these radical agendas that are out there. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of those things, because as different parents are finding that it's more difficult in the states that they live in, some are successful, some are not. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are as someone that, you know, grew up in this area but now live in a different place, as you start to see some of these agendas pushed at at local levels and state levels. Well, you know, the only thing that parents can do is fight back at the school board level. You know, my day job is uh, lobbying the U.N. on life and family matters. And when I go around and I uh, give talks on my work, people say, what can we do? And I inevitably tell them, stay home, take over the school board. Uh, Sometimes that's an impossible task. You know, we live here in Fairfax County in northern Virginia, which is a little bit of an experimental place for a lot of these these, uh, radical ideas. And and my wife and her friends have lobbied the school board assiduously for months and even years, but still they lose. But the 
thing about it, the, thing, the, the fact of the matter is, is they've never given up. And, and that's the thing that, that I talk about a lot in this book, is that this is a remarkable time uh, to be alive because we have been given this great task to fight against this new dominant ethos. Mm-hmm. And we look back upon previous generations, you know, who fought World War II or the Civil War or whatever, and with great admiration. And we are that generation to future generations who will look back and see this was a very desperate time and these brave people fought back. Yeah, there's some pretty large human right violations going on in other countries. We continue to monitor things out of China with the Uyghur population that are continue to be in prison camps. And when you say that you lobby the United Nations, what are those things that are the top of your list, the things that you are talking to them about? Our, our primary, primary work is to ensure that abortion is not made into an international human right, uh, also that the family is not uh, redefined. Um, and we've been at this, gosh, since the Cairo conference in 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, my organization was founded in 1997, so we've been at this full-time since that time. And it's, it's, it's really nonstop. Uh, we just finished a document uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're in the middle of a new document now at the, the Commission on uh, the Social Development, uh, and it's, it's kind of nonstop. And so we work very closely with a lot of African countries who don't want this radical agenda forced on them by the United Nations. And it's exactly the same way that's going on around this country, this radical agenda that's being forced upon local communities in many instances by the federal government, the Department of Education, for instance. Mm -hmm. And it's even inside of some churches when you talk about some of these topics. It was just a couple of years ago, if I can't remember the denomination, it was either Baptist or, I think it was Baptist, where they had an international conference in St. Louis, and they were talking about things like uh, same-sex marriage and how that should be handled inside the church. There was nearly a church split. I mean, uh, and what it seemed like was some of the different delegates from other countries, the ones that were coming in to share their thoughts on it, wanted the more biblical approach to it as opposed to the more worldly approach that a lot of the different places were trying to tackle. So when you go across the world and you talk to these other countries, um, it's not the same trends in other countries. A lot of them do stand on traditional biblical values, and they pride themselves on those things. Are you not seeing that um, as a wider trend in other countries where there's this uprising of these radical thoughts, or are there some places where there are these more traditional thoughts that are upheld? Well, you know, this, what we see in the United States and, and in Europe, uh, really, the radical ideas that we see here are being foisted upon the developing world, who largely don't want them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why we make such common cause with African countries, also Asian countries, Latin American countries, Central American countries. You know, uh, you know uh, one of the most pro-life countries in the United Nations is, the Sandinista, is, is uh, Nicaragua, you know, which is run by the Sandinistas. In, in Latin America, the life issues are not necessarily left-right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you see is a heavily secular agenda from the United States and from Europe, and mostly from Northern Europe and the Nordic countries, being imposed upon reluctant populations in uh, the developing South. So, so yeah, th- there is a lot of resistance to this, but p- part of the problem that they face is that they are desperately poor, and these powerful countries, mostly in the Nordic countries, what we call the donor countries, dangle money in front of them and say, you know, you have to change your definition on gender, for instance, or you're going to lose this billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And so it takes a tremendous amount of courage on behalf of these small countries to fight back, uh, sometimes against their best financial interests. Nonetheless, they do. 
And that's what we ask parents to do around this country in, in fighting about, uh, back against the dominant ethos uh, that's being foisted upon them by the local school board, by the Department of Justice, so on and so forth. Hmm, that's interesting. The, the t- that's how it's tied in. You can see it within your own house. Columnist Austin Ruse joining us, uh, president of the Center for Family and Human Rights. And when you start to talk about the individual families, the ones that are watching all of this go around and trying to fight it, too, you find that in some cases that even if you're trying to manage your own home, your own family and the beliefs that you have as a family, there's a lot that's encroached on because the rest of the world is trying to say that you're not allowed to have these sort of uh, biblical beliefs or the way that you want to hold your family values because it's contrary to what the rest of the world is trying to push. So how does... A family. How do parents fight back when the same pressures are on them? Well, I'll tell you, it, it, it is really hard, and and I have to say, it's it's especially hard uh, for children and families who are in the public schools because so much of this is coming from the public schools. And uh, though I haven't lived in 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 the St. Louis area for a good long while, I suspect that the St. Louis County Public School is as radical as it comes. Um, so it's very, very hard. Um, a lot of people pull out of public schools and do homeschooling or private schooling or, or uh, mixed schooling, uh, where they mix um, in-school learning with, with homeschooling. Uh, but, you know, you, you have to cancel the local newspaper and you have to get rid of cable TV and you have to hang out with families who are like-minded. None of this is a guarantee um, that, you know, that you can keep all of this nastiness away from your children because it comes in almost by osmosis. But you have to give your kids a running start. You know, I, I don't know that you can send your kids to major universities. I think you have to send them. Uh, we're Catholic, and so we're, we're, we'll probably be sending our daughters to a Catholic school called the University of Dallas in Dallas, Texas. Um, so you have to be careful all along the way. And one of the key things is the families that you socialize with and you have to make sure that, you know, you're all on the same wavelength and the things that are taught in your home are taught in the homes of your children's friends. Um, it's a full on battle with the dominant culture. But I, I don't want to leave people with the idea that, that, I, that my message is despair because it's not. I think it is a profound honor that we have been sent here right now to fight this fight. And that's what most of the book is about, mm-hmm. about how it's a remarkable time to be a faithful Catholic. It's a remarkable time to be a faithful Christian of any kind, um, because we've been given this enormous task. That's what the book is about. He's president of the Center for Family and Human Rights, also a columnist, Austin Ruse. His new book, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic, and some of the different challenges that are facing many different families. We'll continue with him right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Next Level Listening. News Radio 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX, the voice of St. Louis. Welcome back to Overnight America. I'm Ryan Recker. Find me online, on Twitter, on Facebook. If you hate social media but are still on it, how about we could uh, dislike it together? Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook would be nice for you to give us a like on there. He's the president of the Center for Family and Human Rights and author of the book, under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic. Columnist Austin Roos joining us here on Overnight America. Yeah, I'm not a Catholic. Um, I am a Christian, but I grew up in a Catholic family, went to Catholic school up through high school. 
And it's interesting to come to St. Louis and see so many Catholic schools. Um, and, and there's even schools that, you, you know, just a lady school, for example. So I didn't really grow up in a way or in a place that had that. At least if it was there, I, I wasn't made aware of it. But there's an importance to that in St. Louis. I think there's a lot of families that understand that it's probably better for them to go through a system which has these yeah. sort of checks and balances and these controls on them. So they're not having to bow down to whatever the, the whatever they have to do in order to continue to get tax dollars. And even during this coronavirus for the past year, I think a lot of parents started to realize that as their kids were sitting at home, they wanted to invest more into the kids and not into the systems. That's become a big push yeah. because yeah. even in Missouri, it's like that. So that? a lot of states are doing legislation in order to try to make sure that these systems are going to be in place where the money follows the kid, as opposed to continuing to fund these systems that are failing and the ones that'll probably continue to fail. There's, there's no indication that they'll turn around anytime in the future. So if you really want to benefit the kids in this situation, you really need to start investing in them. You know, there was a state, and my wife told me about this the other day, that has, in fact, instituted this, this policy that the money follows the kid um, and, and, and doesn't necessarily go into the local public school. Uh, what's the status of this in Missouri? Is, is, it, is, this, is this being talked about? Yeah, so they've tried. I'm not sure if it's made it into an actual Missouri House vote yet, yeah. but they have discussed it through committee. It gained a lot of traction because people are very interested in it. And parents are on high alert right now because they are tired of getting jerked around. And they really like the idea to be in control of their kids and have this option. And I think that in Missouri, there's a lot of Republicans that are in the House legislation that would be able to put this through. It is Republican-led. So they feel like they have a chance yeah. to do it here like some of these other Republican states. You know, um, uh, I, I, I almost think, sort of shifting gears here just for a second, I also I, I, I think that Asa Hutchinson, in a way, has given us all a gift because of the boneheaded thing he did without uh, about uh, you know uh, uh, chemical castration of children mm. because i think that a lot more people now know what this whole thing is about a lot of us have been fighting this 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 transgender thing for for a good long while and the fact that he would not sign a bill which banned chemical ca castration for children mm. really brings this front and center i have to think that a lot of parents in missouri because of what Asa, Asa did in, in, uh, in Arkansas will alert them to the things that are really going on with regard to this transgender ideology. I mean, that's just a part of all this craziness that's happening these days. I mean, they're teaching transgenderism in public schools here in Northern Virginia. I have to think they're doing the same thing in the St. Louis County schools. Um, you know, they're probably teaching the children in St. Louis County schools um, that uh, sex is assigned at birth and that boys can turn into girls. And, and this scares kids half to death. I know a story of a little girl who got out of the bathtub one night and her hair was slicked back and she, she started crying because she thought she was turning into a boy. Mm. Uh, so this is what they're teaching kids in, 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 in the public schools around the country. And, uh, you know, in a way, God bless Asa Hutchison for, for making this front and center. Yeah, that is concerning, and I know a lot of parents, uh, at least for us, our child is young enough in kindergarten where our our guard is up, but we're not expecting that to leak in. However, we have taught him in a way that if something like this does come up, he'll let us know. And just recently, right. they started to do some of these different 
Zoom meetings for kids, kind of like an introduction to, you know, stranger danger and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I wonder what they're going to bring up in this. <laughs> you know, you can't preview it as a parent ahead of time because right. I'd, I'd be curious if there's other things they might be sprinkling in there. And then I saw it was in association with the, the Jewish council here, and I thought, okay, that's probably safe then. I'm guessing that the Jewish faith haven't really turned the tide on this. So at least there is some sort of involvement with some faith aspect, so I know it's not going to turn the other way. But as a parent, your guard's got to be up all the time. All the time. Well, and I, I would just say there's no guarantee that uh, the, the Jewish groups that are connected to this program are necessarily Orthodox Jews. Um, you know, there, there's craziness in, in all faiths uh, these days. There certainly is in, in, in the Catholic Church. So uh, even there, you cannot be entirely certain that some craziness might come in. I mean, they may go around the room and ask, ask the kids uh, for their pronouns. Uh, maybe that's a little early for that kind of thing, but I mean that is quite common now in educational settings. Um, I, there, we know people here in Northern Virginia where this has been asked, and uh, you just have to be on your guard and say none of your business or I don't believe in that. I mean part of the part of the argument that I have in this book is that I believe there is now an established church in this country which is based on sexual radicalism. Mm. And it started with the school prayer decisions and the contraception decisions, the abortion decision, the sodomy decisions, uh, the, uh, the, the, the same-sex marriage decisions. And these decisions have now infiltrated through the federal government, down to the state government, down to the local school board. So there is believing that boys can be girls is a religious belief because there's no science behind it. So I, I think that there's an established church, and uh, Catholics and other Christians are the heretics that they're coming hunting for. Mm. That is part of the challenge of our day. That's an interesting way to look at it, and I've told my son, though he is six, I feel like he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders because we do discuss these things. I, I told him that if he's ever challenged about his faith or they tell him he's not allowed to believe something that he knows he believes through our faith— I told him, if you ever stand up for yourself and they say you'll get in trouble for it, I'll back you up 100%. And that'll be the proudest day of my life if I have to go in and talk to the teacher or principal because he stood up for his faith. I'm just waiting for that day. So, by the way, uh, your book, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic. Where can people look that up? Well, they can find it uh, certainly at Amazon. I know a lot of people are hesitant to buy things from Amazon these days, but uh, they still sell 80% of all books, so you, you can look up my name, Austin Roos, R-U-S-E, uh, at Amazon, and all of my books come up. This is my fourth book, um, and so I, I, I think that this is the shot in the arm that I think all parents need, because they will finish this book standing and cheering, because I also make the case that we're living through one of the most remarkable epics in the history of the Church. And it's not, it's not in spite of all these problems, it's precisely because of all these problems. Because God Almighty sent us here to do this battle. Um, you know, uh, and uh, to me that's, that's, that's remarkable, because I'm lame, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> we're not the A-team, you know, none of us, you know, we didn't go to Harvard, you know, we, we don't work for Google. We're just, you know, regular folks doing a, a great battle against one of the great evils of our time, and I think that we should rejoice in that. And I do see a lot of families fighting back. They don't want to be a part of it in the sense that they just don't want to be condemned for their deeply held religious beliefs. And luckily, right. 
there are a lot of people that are standing up and saying this is nonsense. They're starting to realize that some of the loudest voices on social media are not real. Talk to are real, and they're the ones that don't have a problem with your your biblical beliefs and what you're doing when it comes to raising your children in faith. So this is yeah. always a good thing. I'm glad that we got you here on KMOX, your hometown radio station, which is cool. Next time you're out at night, you're going to have to see if 1120 reaches you in Virginia. I, I will. I, I can at least stream it, I know. so. Yes, you can. Yeah, the, the different uh, Audible app is available there, or KMOX.com is always a great option. But there's always something special about listening to a Cardinals game at night on 1120, knowing that it reaches, you know, 30-some states. It's kind of a, <laughs> a fun thing. You know, it, it was the only team west of the Mississippi, so there are generations of Cardinal fans all throughout the West. Mm-hmm. Because that, because of KMOX, it was the only station that they could get, and therefore the only baseball that they could get. So a lot of fond memories of KMOX. Oh, that's wonderful. Columnist, also a president for the Center for Family and Human Rights, his new book, Under Siege, No Finer Time to Be a Faithful Catholic, which you can look up on Amazon. Austin Roos, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Ryan, thank you so much for having me. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America. KMOX. EVP and CCO of eCivis, Meryl Oliver, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. We're talking about this big stimulus bill. We just had the $1.9 trillion, and they're already uh, salivating at the idea of perhaps doing another one, or at least the door is open before we're even done spending this one. And when you look at this funding, and you look at the money that's going out to more than just individuals, we're looking at local governments and states that are a big beneficiary of this money. Do you believe the money is getting into the right hands? I think the way in which the act is written... um, the flow of funds are going through uh, local governments and, and state governments. And so uh, the provisions um, in the act do require a level of oversight, transparency, and accountability. So there are requirements that uh, the recipients of those dollars report back um, to the government that the money did go to its intended purpose and did get into the appropriate hands. Yeah, the definition of the intended purpose seems to be stretched a lot in local governments. Like here in St. Louis City and St. Louis County, the definition of what would be a necessity to fight the virus could vary. And then I'm guessing every other city has their own definition of what would work and what would be part of the compliance. So do you think that definition being widely interpreted differently is going to lead to a lot of people spending it, or I should say not people, but government spending it in a way it shouldn't be spent? That's a really good question. And I think that there is a level of flexibility um, provided within the act because different communities have been impacted very differently. And so it really is incumbent upon those units of government to have those internal controls in place. Um, The reporting, the detailed reporting that has to flow back up to the government, they will be held accountable for um, the way in which the funding has been spent. And are they driving positive impact for their communities? 
Makes you wonder, because when we just recently had a mayoral um, a, a debate and then we had the mayoral election here, we're going to have a new administration coming into the city of St. Louis. One of the big questions was, what? how are you going to spend the money? St. Louis is expected to get about $500 million as part of this uh, stimulus. And there's always the question of what's the most responsible way to do it. When you look at the statistics that are out there today, Michigan, for example, really still hit hard with COVID. Missouri, nowhere near the same level of outbreaks. Seems like we have a better control of it. So they would say probably better for us is to spend the money on policing because we definitely need better ways to handle that. Some places are looking at the homeless issues because they say the spread of COVID in the homeless population, if we really want to make sure we can uh, squash this, we got to at least trust that because it's going to be difficult to stop people living on the street, coming in contact with each other all the time. So different places have different priorities. If you're like in a state of Missouri, and it seems like you're pretty much out of the woods when it comes to outbreaks, at least compared to places like Michigan, would that constitute uh, the ability to spend it on things like policing or some of these other problems we're having with crime? Or do you think that doesn't constitute the scope of how this was meant to be spent? Well, I think, again, the the provision of this, um, this Rescue Plan Act is to also help stimulate the economies um, in various communities. So... Um, being data-driven at the local government level um, and being held accountable for how you're um, driving those those activities um, do fall within the act and the way the act has been written. Um, again, providing some flexibilities there um, so that um, the economy can uh, begin to recover. And what within that particular community is one of the driving factors. And so I think um, there is going to be a requirement in the level of reporting. Well, how did if some funds are spent on policing? How did it stimulate the economy or how did it provide a level of, of rescue for that community. Mm. Who do you think is going to be the body, uh, the governing body that will determine if it was spent responsible or not? Because if it's a federal agency, they don't understand fully what each community is going through, what may be the more important issues for a certain community in order to try to stimulate the economy in that community. So when they go back and try to audit this sort of thing, who are the ones that are going to be looking at it? And do you think that that they're going to be pretty much loosey-goosey because the worst thing that could happen is you take a city that's already hurting for money and ask them to pay money back. That would even be pretty devastating. Yes, absolutely. Um, So again, with uh, data-driven approaches to demonstrating the need and um, how you're accounting for the program outcome and demonstrating the direct measurable results um, using this this funds at the community level, auditors are going to be looking at that. 
I want to know last year when they started giving these PPP loans out and a lot of uh, individuals and businesses that were applying for these, some of them did not actually qualify. And then the government was said to have asked for this money back. I don't know if any of that actually happened. So what about businesses that may be listening today? Maybe they didn't quite qualify for these loans before. They may be thinking that they <laughs> might uh, try it again because they haven't been asked for a, a refund on some of these things. What do you think about the uh, the level of businesses and how they could perhaps work into the system? Yes, I would recommend that the, the businesses work with the local governments, the economic advisory boards within um, their local government um, and access those programs. Mm-hmm. I think with this second set of funding through the um, American Rescue Plan Act, Um, There have been some lessons learned, and there um, is some time now before the the disbursement of funds, which we're expecting about mid-June. The government is uh, writing up provisions around how the funds are to be expended, and state and local governments have learned um, and have put in place processes so that the funds can be accessed by those who who need it. So what are some of the things you do at East Civis? Uh, I'm not too familiar with that organization. So at East Civis, we provide a a technology to actually manage grant dollars flowing into uh, the communities. Um, We work at... Um, building in the internal controls over those funds. And that is really important, especially with such a large amount of of money. We want to reduce that administrative burden that our um, government workforce experiences because that is a cost in and of itself. So if you're maximizing the use of technology, and by the way, this act Um, provides for um, governments to spend funds and use technology so that they do have those internal controls, not just over the expenditure of the dollars, but um, over program success. And our technology and software can track the expenditure of the funds. It has automated internal controls in place, and you can track your program outcomes, which is critical to presenting and reporting out the success and also being transparent and accountable. Mm. So do you think there's going to be another stimulus that's passed? Do you think it'll be, well, maybe this is a two-part question. Do you think there'll be another one this year, much like to the scale we saw with the $1.9 trillion, or the second part, uh, follow-up would be, do you think we need one? That's... Um, that's a question for, I think, the, 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 the politicians and the governments to really galvanize around. I know they're discussing it, and we are looking at um, a possible um, infrastructure pot of money coming out. Um, but what I can tell you is, um, should those funds... Um, be released and governments, the federal government determined that they're going to um, roll out another spending package. Um, the existing uh, programs 
have now put in place a path toward expending those funds effectively and efficiently should the the federal government determine whether or not it's necessary. Mm. uh, Just one of the criticisms of the act, and a lot of times Republicans would bring this up, is that when you have so much money that is being funneled into these places that have been, you know, trouble with money to begin with, so it might not have been distributed Mm -hmm. to states evenly. They may have shown preferential treatment to some of the more, you know, Democratic-controlled states, so showing that the Biden administration, whoever is putting this together, drafting it in a way to try to reward people that are friendly to the administration. Did you notice any of that when it came to the, the money that is being distributed, or have you really not noticed that? I have not. In the administration of funds through our technology, uh, we're not noticing that. Um, uh, What we're seeing is and what we focus on in supporting um, all governments that receive these dollars is that they have internal controls in place, that they are being held accountable. They take steps to provide a level of transparency over those expenditure. So, um, again, it's up to uh, the federal government and and um, decision makers at that level to determine who gets what allocation. But what we do see is a, a formula that addresses population. And now we're looking at um, requirements to present data that demonstrates need. Hmm. You know, by the way, if people wanted to look up your organization, eCivis, online or learn more about it, where can they go? eCivis.com, E-C-I-V-I-S.com, and they can actually click on a visual map of the ARPA funds. Oh, okay. Mara Oliver, EVP and CCO of eCivis. Hey, thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Thank you very much for having me, Ryan. And she joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And here we are on Overnight America. One last segment. I was going to check online. Uh, Someone from my old high school posted, hey, any interest in doing a reunion this year? And I think that because of the lost year last year and these other things, everyone wants to get together. They want to find ways to bring it together. Now, this is back in Michigan. I really don't have a high level of confidence that they'll actually be able to get together. And it seems like a lot of uh, time and effort for me to plan on a travel that might get shut down. So. I was looking at this and I said, nope, not interested for a couple of different reasons. I think class reunions are so <laughs> overrated. I went to my 10 year reunion and it was I, let me let me put it this way. I want to go out of my way to do it. If I just happen to be at the right place at the right time, then I would stop in and say hi. But would I make special arrangements for it? No, 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 I would not. And I don't understand why so many people are excited for different class reunions. I didn't say, I said, I might've said family reunion, but that was a slip of the tongue. I meant class reunion, high school class reunion. So I'm looking at the survey they put on social media. And so far about 35 people have voted. 
out of my graduating class. We only had 120. So not everyone has voted. And I'm going down the list and I voted not interested. And of those 35, I was the only one that said, no, uh, uh-uh. uh. I think, well, that's a great way to show your class spirit, huh? I'm the only one. But I told my wife this and I said, am I just the most humbug type of guy when it comes to this sort of thing? And she pointed out, you know, the people that wouldn't show up, they don't vote in those polls. So you're only, you're the only one that's being honest in it because, you know, all the people that say yes, not all of them would want to go anyway. They just do it to do it or whatever. So I get that. Maybe we'll talk about high school class reunion sometime in the future. But, well, that about does it. Going live until 2 a.m. because of a late Cardinals game. So we have a regular start for Overnight America the next two nights. 8 o'clock starts because the Cardinals are playing a day game tomorrow, and I think they're off on Thursday. So if you want to, in the meantime, find me on Facebook. Ryan Wrecker Radio would be a great way to connect. And we'll be back, what, 8 o'clock? Just a few hours from now. Have a great night. We'll see you. Bye. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.